Hello, Vetfolio Voice listeners. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. We're talking again with Paige Allen, a longtime registered veterinary technician who now educates the next generation of techs at Purdue's veterinary nursing program. In the last segment, Paige walked us through her career as an example of how there are more pathways both in and out of the clinic for someone who's passionate about the field. Definitely check it out if you missed it. But in this segment, I want to explore team dynamics and how the field has changed throughout Paige's career. Take a listen and let me know your thoughts on the discussion. So can we talk a little bit about the evolution of credentialing programs over the years and the impact that that's had on veterinary technology? Um, You know, number of programs and and all these different things. Yeah. So, um, so, um, we started out in the country. So the credentialing body of the of veterinary technician programs is the abbreviations are CVTEA. It's an AVMA program and it's the committee on technician education and activities is the, the body that credentials vet tech programs. And, um, so over the years, um, so we were kind of steady at about 100 vet tech programs in the country and in the state of Indiana, where I'm at, the only vet tech program for many, many years was Purdue's. And then in about 2008, um, U.S. News and World Report came out with a, a list of the fastest growing professions and veterinary technology was on that list. And so about that same time, programs. Uh, so that list came out and for-profit colleges, a lot of the smaller colleges looked and went, oh my God, we could have a program and we could graduate these people and we could fill this need and we could make a lot of money doing it. And so all of these programs started popping up um, and Indiana went from one and at our highest point, we had seven programs in the state of Indiana which is a huge number of programs. I mean, so yes, we need veterinary technicians in the field. If you talk to anybody right now, they cannot hire a credential veterinary technician to save their lives. Everybody's trying, everybody's scrambling. Um, somebody told me the other day they were out and on a practices sign, they had um, up to $25 an hour for credential veterinary technicians. So on their sign in front of their hospital, they're trying to advertise for people. So um, 2008, all that started, all of these mostly for-profit programs started setting up um, uh, vet tech programs. Well, then what happened was the government started recognizing that all of these people were defaulting on their student loans. What was going on? Why were they defaulting? So the government got involved in looking at programs, mostly at the for-profit schools, but it also impacts colleges and universities. what is the pay scale for a student graduating from your program? And so if what the student has to pay for their education is more than what they can make a living at when they graduate, then the government was really clamping down. And so all of a sudden, Indiana went down. We're down to two now. So we have us at Purdue and then um, IBC is a college uh, program in Indianapolis. It's a private um, school. So I don't know that we really helped the profession by having all these different schools because we still today have a technician shortage. Um, 
that tech programs are not inexpensive to run. You think about all of the equipment and all of the animals and all of the specialized stuff that you have to have in order to meet the AVMA requirements. Um, and I think a lot of those schools didn't think about that. So it's been really interesting to watch. So now there's about 210, 212 veterinary technology programs in the United States. And you can find those and the ones that are AVMA accredited by going to AVMA's website and just Googling veterinary technician programs. And it's always important, you know, if you're looking at a veterinary technician program to make sure that it is AVMA credentialed. As much as we need credentialed technicians and we want credentialed technicians in the field, uh, we certainly don't want it at a cost where, you know, people can't pay back their, what they borrowed. Yeah. You know, and so the other piece that's happening, of course, is, um, so I don't know if you're aware of the veterinary nursing initiative, right? So Mm -hmm. trying to change the name, um, but more importantly than change the name uh, from veterinary technician to veterinary nurse is really looking at credentials from state to state. So I don't know enough about your guys's, like if you, you know, you have your DVM and you, and you take the NAVLI, is that right? Correct. And then you're, are you then uh, licensed or credentialed to practice in any state or are there other things you have to do? No, um, you're licensed by state. Well, you're, you're a licensed veterinarian at that point, um, but you have to be licensed in the state. So um, different states have different boards that you have to take. Um, I think I think there is always some sort of state board that you have to pass in order to practice in that state. Right. So very similar with veterinary technicians, um, but very, um, so you talked, we talked earlier about in Florida, you don't have to be credentialed right. to yeah, practice. Florida, it's not so, required. Yeah. So the term technician in the state of Indiana is a protected term. So nobody can use the term technician unless they've graduated from an AVMA accredited program and have passed both the national and the state boards. And once you do that, then you are a registered veterinary technician. And so it's in the, the, um, laws. It's a, I believe it's a class C or a class D misdemeanor to represent yourself as a technician if you're not meeting those, those credentials. But the struggle is, is that I work for Dr. A and Dr. A calls everybody technicians, whether they are or not, whether they've graduated from an AVMA accredited program and passed their boards. And so then if I'm the only registered veterinary technician there, it's incumbent on me to turn him in right? Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, we're supposed to self-regulate, but how do you go turn in your boss for calling all the assistants technicians, and then he gets fined, and then he finds out that you did it, and then you lose your job. Right. Right. So there's this whole big circular thing of, you know, changing the name isn't going to help that. We really need veterinarians to recognize and understand the difference between somebody you bring in off the street And you train, and I'm going to use the word train, you train them how to do the tasks that you want them to do versus a credentialed. So when I use the term credentialed, that means registered, certified, or licensed, because it again, it depends on the state. Um, So a credentialed technician understands the whys and the hows and the wherefores. Like, I don't just turn the anesthesia vaporizer up. There we are back to anesthesia. I don't turn, I'm always going <laughs> to circle a, back. That's right? a really important one to, oh, to know, right? have a good understanding of and be aware of. That's one that we really need people to kind of know what they're doing in that setting. Right, right. So to understand the physiology and the pharmacology and the pharmacokinetics, if I can say that word right, of how that drug interacts with the patient and what clinical signs am I looking for in that patient? Are they too light? Or are they too deep? So, you know, 
I mean, I don't know if you remember this from your days in anesthesia, but a patient can start breathing really fast when they're too light, but they can also do it when they're too deep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you don't know where your patient is at, if you don't have that understanding and you think, well, they're breathing, they're breathing light because that's what the doctor told me. They're breathing a lot. They're light and crank up that vaporizer. And before you know it, the patient is, is not doing well. Right. I know my go-to would be to ask and to say, okay, I think this is what I want to do. Is my thinking on the right track? And some of the credentialed technicians that I worked with when I was in anesthesia, the knowledge they had, um, and, and I also worked with some that were VTSs, you know, veterinary technician specialists, the knowledge that, uh, that I have come across working with various different technicians, there's probably a lot of areas where you know more than what the DVM knows. Well, you know, and it's even like when we talk about blood gases, you know, I can look at a blood gas and I can diagnose that there's respiratory acidosis going on. Now that's not, I mean, in my head, that's what I'm doing. Right. And so I know that I have to put the patient on the ventilator because their CO2 is high and their basic or their pH is low and, you know, all of those things. So to some degree, we have to have that knowledge to be able to help take care of our patients. And then it really depends on your relationship with your veterinarian on, you know, when I was down in large animal doing anesthesia, I remember like, I don't know, we were in here in the middle of the night doing a colic. And, and I said to the veterinarian, the surgeon, this and this and this with the blood gas and I need to put him on the ventilator and blah, blah, blah. And he looked over at me and he said, Paige, do your job and let me do mine. And so he didn't need me to tell him what I was seeing because he had the faith in me that I knew what I was doing because we had worked together long enough and built that relationship. And I think that's so important. And I think there are so many amazing assistants out there also who have an understanding because they've done it for so long that they have some understanding of what's going on with the patient. Um, But that ability to have that education and know that I did anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and anesthesia class, and that all of those things were drilled into me to be aware of. So that's to me, the teaching side versus bringing someone in and training them to when the animal pants, turn the vaporizer up and bag them. Right. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about technician versus assistant and the differences by state. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Do you, do you think we need to require it across the board that technicians be credentialed. I mean, I I definitely hear what you're saying of the amount of school and training that you went through to do what you do to where you're not trained to do a task. You're trained to understand the physiology behind it and why you're doing things and be able to function that way. Um, Do we need to require it across the board? So I'm laughing a little bit at you because (laughs) I have to say this, otherwise I'm going to get a bunch of crap from people. Um, we train dogs and monkeys. We educate people. I like it. I so like it. Just like we don't saying, utilize technicians, we empower. We empower. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. So I know that in the DVM world and still in the tech world, to some degree, we talk about training people in school. And I think we're not training, we're educating. You train someone on the job, right? You give them a task, you tell them the task to do. And so, so my, my, my easy answer, my hard answer is yes, absolutely. Technicians need and nurses need to be credentialed. Oh, I should say half my heart. The other half of my heart knows that there are a lot of really great assistants out there. You know, but we for years in this profession allowed 
people to do what's called grandfathering in where they had worked a certain amount of time. They worked with a veterinarian. They had put in the, the effort and we allowed them to take the, they were allowed. I shouldn't say we, cause it wasn't me. They were allowed to take the VTNE. <clears throat> and I believe that that loophole has closed in all states. Um, and people cannot take the VTNE, which is the veterinary technician national exam um, unless they have graduated from an AVMA accredited program. And that's not true in all states. Um, the struggle with that is, is that it only credentials them in the state of California. Because if they move to Indiana, even if they've taken the VTNE in the state of Indiana, you have to have graduated from an AVMA accredited program and passed the VTNE and passed the Indiana State Board. Mm -hmm. So someone who's done an alternate track in California whatever that looks like, past the VTNE, they can never practice in Indiana as a veterinary technician because they didn't graduate from an AVMA accredited program. So that's where the whole laws and state things are so hard because every state is so different in what they allow and don't allow. So, but having said that, I think that um, that window of grandfathering has been, was open for a very long time. And I think if we're going to move ahead as a profession and something that becomes respected as a profession, we have to, we have to stop that. And I know it's painful. I know it's hard, but we have to put a stop to it somewhere. I mean, there are no nurses in human medicine that you go to that got to be a nurse by working with a doctor for 10 years and then taking a board exam. You know, that just, and so don't we want that same level of care for our patients um, in, in veterinary medicine? And so how do we educate people, veterinarians, number one, number two, the public of what a, a credential technician is or a veterinary nurse is, um, and bring that standard of care so that clients demand that standard of care. And again, not to not to denigrate veterinary assistants, there are some amazing, amazing veterinary. I mean, several of the people who mentored me, Harry Latshaw that I talked about earlier, was not, did not graduate from a vet tech program. He had a master's in physiology, took his boards in Indiana through that grandfather clause and was an amazing, amazing teacher and technician. Um, so I'm not saying it can't happen, but I think at some point we have to draw that line. Mm -hmm. So... Let's talk about um, veterinary technician specialty VTS for a second. What, how, how do you feel? You know, what are your thoughts on um, getting a VTS and, and further specializing as a, as a credential technician? So another loaded question. You never, yes. you never, <laughs> you're, you're just not being not easy on up. me today. No. <laughs> um, so on one hand, I love the VTSs because I think it gives people the opportunity again people who are driven to continue to learn more about a piece that they love. Um, so anesthesia, um, critical care, dentistry, nutrition. I mean, there are so many of them out there. I can't list them all. I like, I want to say 14 or 16 of them right now, but on the other hand, and I'll pro you might get some blowback on this too. On the other hand, I sometimes wish we would have fixed our foundation before we started going into the specializations. And what I mean by that was, you know, the credential veterinary technician, um, and I hate to say versus assistant, but really cleaning up our foundation so that credential veterinary technicians are here and then specializations are here and they, and they're the next level. And I just, I think it can be confusing to the public. I think it's great for personal growth, 
you know, you're probably doing it. Most people do those things because they want to learn more and they want to do more um, and they want to be challenged. Certainly. Yeah. From a, from a providing patient care standpoint and things like that. Um, it's been amazing. You know, some of the, the specialists that I've worked with, um, there's one in particular I'm thinking of that's uh, double certified in um, anesthesia and critical care um, and just a level of knowledge that will blow you away. Uh, but there, I know there are these other considerations that come with it in terms of, um, of pay. And then, like you said, sort of fixing a foundation before branching off into other specialties, which opens kind of a, you know, another painful topic because it's just a tough subject to talk about, um, in general, but, uh, you know, going be, like you said, it's very difficult to hire a credentialed technician right now. Uh, and going through a credentialing program is not an inexpensive endeavor. Um, how, how do we then compensate people for going through this program and, and earning this credential? So I think that's a really great point. And I think we as a profession, so I'm going to include veterinarians in this, we, none of us are very good at charging what we're worth. That's true. (laughs) Right. And I think to myself, so again, I'm going to use the human medicine. How often do you get to pick up the phone and say to the person at the doctor's office, I want to talk to the doctor right now. And the doctor comes to the phone and you have a conversation and you hang up and you go on your merry way. And there's no charge for that. That doesn't happen. And I don't know, you know, I know that we all get into the profession because we love animals and it's just petting puppies and kittens while we're, ri- <laughs> while we're riding we a horse, while we're right, riding exactly. a horse. With our little puppy in front of us. Exactly. <laughs> off into the sunset. <sighs> and, and we're, we're in such a hard place because we want to, we want to save every animal. We want to do what's right for that patient, regardless of the cost financially and also to ourselves. And, you know, we have to learn as a profession to charge and to charge for our our time and our expertise. And I think the veterinarians who can do that can then also pay their staff what their staff is worth. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to have that conversation with a client who saved my dog and I have no money. And if you say I can't, then you're heartless and horrible. And then that feeds into the whole mental health thing and, and, and people who are burning out and leaving the profession because people are just horrible to each other. Can't we, you know, can't we just be nice? Can't we have a conversation? Anyway, that's a whole nother pathway, but be kind. Right. Cause you never know what the other person, what is going on in that other person's life that gosh, day. how many times have I encountered that in, in an exam room, especially where, you know, one of these, you know, this, this dog's mouth is rotten. Um, these, you know, these teeth are terrible and, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going in that room and we're, we're just going to talk until I'm, I've gotten my point across that, you know, this is not good for the animal and we need to address this. And then you go in and it's, you know, tears and doc, I want to so much, but my husband's had cancer and we've been treating his chemotherapy and I haven't been able to address it and all my bills. And how many times have I encountered that of, you just don't know what's going on 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 the other side. Yeah. 
And so it makes it really hard. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know how to elevate that. I don't know how to educate the public. I don't know how to help veterinarians know that it's okay to charge for your knowledge. That's what the human side does. And I know there's insurance on the human side. And I know to some degree there's insurance on the veterinary side. Um, and so things are just, I, I think we have to value ourselves. You know, just veterinarians used to charge, make their money by by charging for the for the medications and then so many things became OTC and then you can't do that anymore and so we kind of did it to ourselves right so we need to be charging for our knowledge and our expertise and that's a hard thing to do until we explain to clients the value so one of the things I think about is is educating our receptionists I almost said trained did you hear me (laughs) educating our receptionist when someone calls and says, how much is a spay at your practice? Instead of just saying our spay is X dollars saying, I want you to know what is included in the cost of this spay. This is the fluids for your, for your pet. This is the pre-op blood work so that we make sure that your pet is healthy or your fur baby or whatever term you want to use. Right. Um, This is all the agents that we use to induce anesthesia, the pain medications following all of the sterile goods that we're going to use, the doctor's time, the technician's time, the anesthetic, you know, and, and, and educate the public on, you know, your 250 or $300 for the spay. And I'm, I don't know what a spay is anymore because it's been too long. Um, But this is what you're getting for your money, right? It's not just 10 minutes in the surgery room or 15 minutes in the surgery room, but all of this stuff that had come and, you know, a post-op follow-up to take the sutures out. Right. And so when, so then when they call clinic B and clinic B says, well, it's the surgery and a shot of, you know, Pen G, G. right. Pen G. <laughs> Cause course. everybody, everybody gets Pen G. Of course. You get Pen G and you get, <laughs> yes. <Pen>. sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, so that clients understand what they're paying for, because I think, I think people are smart. I'm, that's my rose-colored glasses for today. People are smart. If you give them the information, they can make a decision. If they want to make it based on dollars, that that's their choice to do that. Mm-hmm. But that we educate them to the best of our ability um, what what we're doing and why we do what we do. Yes, it is, you're right. And it is so challenging to go out and, you know, especially like we talked about, so many of us are fixers and you know, we just want to fix the situation. And so it's so hard um, when somebody looks to you and says, why can't do that? Or, you know, oh, why can't you just, you know, I don't know, cut off his leg, doc, whatever it is. Uh, And to really kind of stand your ground and say, okay, but, you know, I, there's so many reasons behind needing to, to charge appropriately. And it really is hard, especially, you know, when you have people who, who can't afford it and you, you know, you want to help and Here I came hoping that you would just have all the answers, Paige, and just be able to fix the whole profession. (laughs) And I would say we're off to a good start. (laughs) I know, right? I just had a really great thought. I'm sure somebody else has thought about it, but why not create at your practice an angel fund where, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I go to the store, sometimes they say, do you want to round up to the nearest dollar to contribute to something. And nine times out of 10, I say yes. And I think to myself, what would if we started doing something like that? And do you want to round up to the nearest dollar to, um, to contribute to our angel fund? And this fund is used, you know, when someone comes and maybe doesn't have the financial ability to pay for X, Y, and Z. And we have like to have a fund where we can help them. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think sometimes it's those little simple things, but 
certainly worked with an angel fund before, but I never thought about doing it in terms of rounding up to the next dollar. And I think that might be a, a really, you might be onto something. There, there. you go. I just solved it. There you go. Finally, you know, we've been we're working at it for an hour and a half and we finally solved all the, all the professions problem. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, Paige, this has been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being on with me today. Well, Dr. Cassie, I just want to tell you thanks for having me on, for letting me ramble on and and share some crazy, some of my crazy with you. And uh, um, I love what I do. If that doesn't come through, I think you, you, uh, I need to say it. I love what I do. And I so appreciate all that you do to educate the world and our little, our, I guess our little corner of the world. So thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, well, it is conversations like this that that truly make it my pleasure. And I'm so glad that we're going to get you for 2021 as well. Well, we'll see, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. If we get to 2021. If we get to 2021. Yeah. 2020 hindsight, right? Right. Yeah. We'll see what 2021 has in store. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Dr. Cassie. Have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. You too. All right, guys, I really hope you enjoyed those episodes as much as I enjoyed recording them. And a huge thank you to Paige Allen for joining me in this talk. To find more episodes like this, click on the education tab on Vetfolio's website. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this session as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.